Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. With working from home and trying to stay in touch with friends and family, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to always be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset. That's when you reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. My moment to chill is watching baseball, especially when the White Sox are on. I like to have a Coors Light beside me. It's a great beer to have watching the games as it's cool and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. And even the mountains on my cans turn blue telling me that it's time to hit reset. Sit back, relax, and hunker down for an evening of White Sox baseball. So when it's time for you to unwind, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Check out our amazing offers on Xfinity Internet. You'll get fast speed and Wi-Fi coverage you can count on. Plus, get advanced security free with the XFi Gateway, so you can keep the connected devices in your home protected from network threats. Just log in and activate through the Xfinity app. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's January 12, 2021, as we enter our eighth season podcasting about the Chicago White Sox. And what better way to kick off a new year of podcasting about the Chicago White Sox than to talk about a big free agent signing. Liam Hendricks, the top reliever in this year's free agency class and the number one reliever in all of baseball, according to MLB Network, will be pitching on the South Side for at least the next three seasons. Joining me to discuss the signing and ponder what's next for the White Sox this offseason is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com and the co-host of the podcast, it's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. On our last podcast before New Year's, we talked about the possibility of the White Sox signing Hendricks. Robert Murray of Fansighted joined the show and said the White Sox were the top team in pursuit of Hendricks. Finally, a deal gets done, first reported by our friend James Vegan of The Athletic and Tim Brown of Yahoo Sports. Having a day to ponder about the signing, how do you feel about Hendricks as the new Chicago White Sox closer? Well, uh, individually, it's a lot of fun, uh, you know, watching him work against the White Sox, even though they had him on the ropes and and almost beat him. They almost stole a uh, game from him. Uh, The way he bounced back, I think after throwing 49 pitches, came back the next day and shut down the White Sox with an impressive array of fastballs throwing harder than usual. Uh, It's hard not to be impressed by that. And the regular season work the last one and a half seasons, you know, especially after he took over as Oakland closer, 
rose up the ranks there. Really impressive, pretty much the best in baseball. And uh, he was actually the best in baseball, according to MLB Network, uh, ranking him the number one reliever right now. So, you know, you look at that and you think, like, it, it's, it's hard to complain, even if he's, you know, paid appropriately and, you know, not mm-hmm. nearly bargained. And there's always a risk with a high with a four-year high-value uh, contract for a reliever. You know, he's the kind of guy you want at the end of the game in tough situations. So it's hard to complain about that, I think, you know, and, and we might talk about this, is that it's not the way I would hope the White Sox would spend their, you know, the most money this winter, you know, the, the highest-value contract this winter. For a closer, I didn't think that was necessarily the best way to go, and we don't know if that's going to be the case yet, but... If it is, you know, I think that's the one way I would be underwhelmed by this. And let's talk about that point, because on Twitter, obviously White Sox fans are very excited because Liam Hendricks, as you mentioned, Jim, is really good. Perhaps the best reliever in all of Major League Baseball. A lot of analysts, fan graphs, uh, things on, written about uh, Hendricks on baseball prospectus, pitchers list, some of the top analysts, even pitching ninja. Uh, rave about the transformation that Liam Hendricks has gone through in 2019 and in 2020. And the Chicago White Sox add another exciting arm to their bullpen. But there are some White Sox fans, and I think they're unfairly being criticized on Twitter about being disappointed. And it's not so much being disappointed they are about adding Liam Hendricks to this White Sox bullpen. It is the point that you just brought up, Jim. If the White Sox are going to spend up to $54 million on a player, why are they spending spending that money on a closer and not say right field? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it reminded me and reminded a lot of people about uh, the 2014-15 offseason, which uh, the winter that Rick Hahn won and that David Robertson was the biggest contract and he was the highest paid closer, the 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 most proven, highest regarded closer in the market. And they gave him four years and 46 million. And, you know, that's, you know, you can praise the White Sox for getting the top guy to position, but also, you know, it just, it seems like a, a kind of a corner cutting way to prove that you can go top of the market when you go with the closer. Uh, just, mm-hmm. uh, um, you know, the closers, uh, the top of market closer, you know, as we've seen, gets 50 million. Sometimes they'll get 20 million a year. Like, uh, you know, Kenley Jansen can get, but when it comes to like the, the top of market guys, you know, you're topping out at 20 million, whereas, you know, a top of market outfielders, like, uh, you're, you're talking $300 million, a top of market starter, you're talking low 200 million, you know, it's really not the same, um, payout for, uh, commitment for that kind of player. So, it strikes me as like a little bit of a, yeah, I, I guess when I'm looking to be defensive or wonder how the White Sox are going to come up short elsewhere because they have a history of doing so, it strikes me as this is a way to praise Jerry Reinsdorf for t- spending what it needs to get their guy. And it's like, yeah, you did, but it's <laughs> also like, uh, you know, there, there is a cost control already built into the position because he only pitches one inning a game and he only pitches in certain circumstances where the rest of the team gets him a lead. That's, I think, where I'm the most wary of it. And I'm, I'm not going to be, uh, I guess, like pissing on the contract yet just because there's a lot of winter left. A lot of teams have done nothing. So I'm not going to sit here and, and rip the White Sox for not doing enough because, you know, as you, you look at the rest of the league and you think like, well, if the White Sox haven't done enough, then what's the rest of baseball doing? Uh, you know, they could just be waiting to see what other players are unfolding, what bargains are going to be there and act accordingly. 
But, you know, there is a history of just, um, you know, like with Yasmani Grandal, that was a, a big contract. But it's also like for a 30-something catcher, you're not going to pay nine figures for a 30-something catcher. So that's another way where the cost is kind of tamped down already. And that's, I think, where the White Sox just would prefer to spend their money. Like they, they get the top of market guy, but the top, you know, he's top of market, but he's only getting 50 to 70 million because of inherent risks with the position or uh, limitations uh, of the position where they only appear in certain situations or only appear in 120 games versus 160. And I think that's where I think it's just a little bit disappointing, especially when you think that, you know, Alex Colomay did a great job. So they didn't need to go overkill for the position the way that an upgrade in right field like a George Springer type uh, upgrade Mm -hmm. in right field would have done. Right. And I think for that sect of White Sox fans, that's where the frustration is. Cool. You live at top of the market for closer, a specific role that's only worth a dab when you have a lead in the ninth inning. Right. And uh, it's it's very important, though. Uh, especially if you get into the postseason, and that's one of the margin areas that teams desperately try to improve upon, especially around the trade deadline, when they think they got a chance of making to the World Series and winning a World Championship. And evidently the White Sox think that Liam Hendricks uh, is one of the final pieces of the roster construction to get them to one step closer of maybe winning the American League pennant in 2021 and shocking the world and winning the World Series in 2021. But it's something that you wrote in your column, Jim, that has resonated with me and I think is 100% correct, that the White Sox aren't repeating a mistake by signing a four-year closer. They'll only be repeating one if they stop focusing on getting him leads. With the White Sox signing Liam Hendricks now on January 11, 2021, the news was broken late in the night. Do you feel that this team currently constructed is strong enough that they could keep feeding him leads in 2021 to close? It is in terms of an opening day roster. I think where my concern is if, say, Luis Robert gets hurt, if Eloy Jimenez gets hurt, uh, you know, the players like Yoan Moncada, you know, whether it's COVID or whether it's, you know, leg issues that he had in the past, you know, all of these guys find ways to miss clumps of time, um, Jimenez, especially in minor leagues. Um, so when it comes to just the the shape of the roster, it's like it's it's one thing to look at, you know, just to lay out nine positions, see, you know, eight spots taken care of more or less and say, like, it's a good lineup. You know, this this is going the postseason. My concern is more should an injury strike should uh some kind of disappointment uh, befall the White Sox. What do they have in store? And right now, aside from Andrew Vaughn, and I feel like I'm among the more guarded about Andrew Vaughn. Just like I, I don't think he has any business being on an opening day roster. I, that you know, and, and it feels like I'm slighting him by saying that. I've seen people raise the idea of it being service time manipulation by having him start in the minors, and I don't see that at all. I mean, I'm he's never you. played. I know he's never played in the high minors. When I watch him in spring training, it's like you can see the quality of hitter there. You can see the quality of the at bats, but you can also see when he's like play, uh, you know, hitting against upper level pitching that you know he does get in behind and counts, has to fight more, has to settle for opposite field. Uh, contact just because he's uh, protecting the two strikes and you know that's good you know that's a sign of a mature hitter and sign of a a hitter with polish and 
should be on a fast track, but it's also a guy who I would just like to see him damage upper level pitching. He, you know, his his numbers at, at A ball weren't, you know, they're good, but not great, but you can cut him some slack for being, you know, his pro debut and then losing all of uh, 2020 to uh, the pandemic year, aside from, you know, um, the alternate training site and, uh, you know, extra reps in Arizona. But I would just like to see him, you know, just put some good swings on double A pitching, triple A pitching before, you know, handing over a DH spot, like a bat only position to him. Right. And, and so, you know, when you look at the kind of void at DH and, uh, you know, just how few um, options they have besides Vaughn for if a guy gets hurt, that's, I think, where I feel like they haven't done enough. Uh, just, you know, they, they, they could have a little bit more protection in case of emergency. And we'll talk about what the White Sox could possibly do Later in this show, because I agree with you, Jim, and just as far as we are moving away from Leah Hendricks for a split second on the topic of Andrew Vaughn, there is a lot of people that say, well, the White Sox loved what he did in Schaumburg. Who the hell cares what he did in Schaumburg? So he hit well against the same pitchers every single day he practiced. That defeats the purpose. We need to see what he does Series in and series out against pitchers that he's never seen before, right? Against advanced stuff mm-hmm. that he's seen outside of Pac-12 pitching and whatever the heck that he was watching or seeing uh, in Schaumburg. That's what we need to see out of Andrew Vaughn. So yeah. I think Vaughn <laughs> needs to spend at least the first half of 2021 in Charlotte at the very least, and we can gauge in where he is. But to, to, to think that in May, Andrew Vaughn's going to be the White Sox DH, come on, guys. That's Why are you deviating from your standard normal operating procedure with position player prospects now with Andrew Vaughn, but you wouldn't do it with guys that were proving themselves with Aloy Jimenez and Luis Robert? That just seems backwards to me. Yeah, and you know, the, the Schaumburg reports are... Yeah, they're they're always rosy, just like instructional league reports are. You know, they never say like, "Oh, he looked terrible against their own pitchers." Ooh, yeah, that's <laughs> Blake Rutherford was just you know, just pulling everything to the ground. I didn't see that coming from you know. You never hear that kind of report. Like, I was listening to Marco Patti on the score talking about uh, Yolki Cespedes uh, and um, uh, Norhe Vera, and just you know, everything's a positive report. Everything's uh, you, you hear what a guy can do. You never hear what a guy can't do or needs to work on holes in his game. He needs to patch up. And, and that's the same thing with like Schaumburg reports. Like you hear good things because, uh, you know, it's kind of a morale building exercise. It, it's, you know, getting upper level reps, working on things, positive reinforcement, but you know, it, it, you're not facing uh, pitchers who want to embarrass you and send you down a level. And I, I think, uh, you know, good reps against uh, pitchers wearing the same uniform only go so far. So yeah, I, I think he has the potential to where if he just, you know, lights up, double A pitching, triple A pitching, just wears it out. Charlotte is too small for him and there's nothing there. Then sure. Give him an audition in late May or June, you know, and see what he can do and be prepared to, you know, uh, you know, pull the cord if it's not going well right now and, and have him slow down, go back to Charlotte. But yeah, just having him as the plan a, or uh, a plan B behind a very flimsy plan. A, I think is courting disaster. Listen, if you're going to start talking about him now coming up in late, April, early May to be the DH. You, you probably should have done that at September when we talked and wrote about it in Sox Machine, Jim, that Edward Carnacion was done. He was toast. Mm-hmm. You might as well have called him up then 
uh, because you didn't have much of a DH. Anyways, let's get back on track and talk about Liam Hendricks. So we discussed as far as the part of the White Sox fandom that's frustrated that the White Sox are spending top dollar for closer, but they refuse to spend top dollar elsewhere on the field for the guys that are going to play 150 plus games a season. I understand that frustration, but let's talk about the positive of adding Liam Hendricks and specifically the White Sox bullpen. This is now, I think, one of the stronger parts of the Chicago White Sox, Jim. For starters, the White Sox player development, this is an area that we are seeing uh, dividends. Uh, Cody Hoyer and Matt Foster came out of nowhere and were significant pieces to the White Sox bullpen, and they are hopeful they will be that also in 2021. I think there's a lot of potential, especially in Cody Hoyer. Maybe he will be the Nate Jones that we were hoping Nate Jones would be a few seasons ago. Where's the same number of throws like him? Evan Marshall, you know, spring training invite, the guy sticking around. And he should, because he's throwing the ball really well for the White Sox. They found a gem. They drafted a gem in Aaron Bummer. They used their first-round pick on a Josh Hader type like Gary Crochet. And now they have Liam Hendricks. And it does help shorten the game. While we don't quite know for sure, and again, back to always rosy positive reports, because you know, great reporting by James Fegan, speaking to the new White Sox pitching coach, Ethan Katz, He's very excited about the progress that uh, Dylan Cease and Ronaldo Lopez and Michael Kopech are making this offseason. But until we see it, it during a major league game come in April and May, we won't know for sure on how much of that progress is real. And it's turning into positive outcomes for the Chicago White Sox. But when you have a bullpen this strong, Jim, it does help out Tony La Russa and Katz. In the sense that when you get into the Dylan Cease and maybe Ronaldo Lopez starts to start the season, you really only need five innings from them because you can count on the depth of the bullpen to take you the rest of the way home. When, when I was looking at the White Sox record in uh, you know, with late inning leads, and they were 92-1 and one with uh, leads entering the ninth inning, best in baseball in terms of winning percentage, uh, you know, that, that was one argument I made for, you know, Alex Colome was good enough. You can sign somebody like him or maybe turn over the close position to somebody in-house and work more on shoring up the, the seventh, eighth innings. You know, they'll be fine. But, you know, you looked at Oakland's record um, and just how they were able to be perfect from the seventh inning on, not just the ninth inning on uh, last year, but the seventh inning on. And I think that's one advantage that having somebody at the very back end who is just, uh, you know, has the ninth inning on, on lock. That's, I think, what you're looking for, uh, you know, for, for a closer, not just, you know, having the save percentage and just being, um, you know, feel good about giving the ball ninth, but just having the order set for the innings before. And I'm thinking you know, with previous good White Sox bullpens, like you know, for the brief half season where Scott Linebrink's uh, White Sox career was great. They had, you know, they, they had uh, Linebrink, they had Dotel, they had Bobby Jenks. And for half a season, that was a beautiful, uh, bullpen with no issues, and then you know line break uh, fell apart, and Jenks got hurt, and it just all kind of unraveled. But in this case, you know you have uh, you know a pretty good bullpen core already there. Colome was you know shaky to watch, but you got to give him credit; he got the job done uh, just about as well as anybody there. So yeah, I think the 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 issues with his peripherals and such, while to, you have to be on guard against it and be uh, aware that it might fall apart, you know you. you, you have to give him some credit and some faith that he 
gets the contact he gets for a reason. Um, but when you have Hendricks there getting strikeouts, uh, getting insane amount of strikeouts, insane amount of whiffs, uh, the way no other White Sox pitcher comes close to, it just reduces the amount of thinking a manager has to do, reduces the amount of thinking other pitchers have to do, uh, pitching coaches, bullpen coaches have to do. Uh, just having that guy there, and then you can simplify the eighth, simplify the seventh. You know, the White Sox being a bullpen that's effective against lefties from the right side makes that very easy for a manager, whether it's Rick Renteria last year or Tony La Russa this year. Uh, they have the ability to neutralize hitters from both sides. It's a very effective bullpen and a very, you know, almost paint-by-numbers bullpen. I think there there's some fluctuation based on whether Aaron Bummer comes back fully healthy whether Evan Marshall can stick through a full season, whether, you know, what happens to Garrett Crochet, but should they have uh, decent luck, you know, not perfect health luck, but decent luck, should be able to have a pretty set order in, in terms of uh, what innings go to what guys based on leverage. And I think that's really all you can hope for. And they also have like, you know, when you look at Zach Birdie looking a little bit better than expected last year, even if he got roughed up, Tyler Johnson always being a, a potential uh, contributor from the AA ranks. They have guys who can step in if somebody gets hurt. And I think uh, based on where they have depth, where they have standout talent, it's pretty much what you want. And who knows, maybe Ronaldo Lopez's second half of his career with the White Sox uh, is out of the bullpen. That could be a possibility. The bullpen is, one again, I think one of the team's strengths here because there is depth. And there's a couple of guys, as you mentioned, in Johnson and Birdie, that are intriguing enough that, yeah, these are major league level arms. And if someone gets hurt, I have a little confidence uh, that they could step in and uh, continue as far as uh, the excellent level of relief pitching that the White Sox are expected to have in 2021. I'm totally with you that if Luis Robert misses a month, the White Sox are in trouble. <laughs> There's no depth outside of Adam Engel. Uh, it's 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 a cliff. I mean, it's a cliff already between Luis Robert and Adam Engel. It's another cliff that you fall off on uh, if it goes further past uh, Adam Engel or Eloy Jimenez and Robert were to get hurt at the same time. I'm just contrasting as far as the levels of depth the White Sox currently have right now entering the 2021 season, where the bullpen is a strength because really strong pitchers and they got some depth. The White Sox outfield, strong players, nothing behind them. So fingers crossed, knock on wood, nobody gets hurt. Please slide well, Luis Robert. Anyways, uh, so again, contrast and point out the differences between Hendricks and Colome. Jim touched on it that Colome really relied as far as uh, inducing weak contact. And these are the 2020 numbers from Baseball Savant. As far as batting average against, slugging against, and on and weighted on base average, Jim, it's very similar between Hendricks and Colome. Uh, Hendricks had a 211 batting against. Uh, expected slugging against was 322. Expected weighted on base average was 227. Where Colome was 214, 301, 262. Where the big differences are is strikeout rate. 40.2% of the batters that face Liam Hendricks struck out compared to 17.8% for Alex Colomay. And then walk rate, Hendricks had a walk rate of 3.3% Jim, where Colomay had a walk rate of 8.9%. So very drastic differences in these two categories between Hendricks and Colomay. And I can understand why Rick Hahn decided to 
move on from Alex Colomay and replace him with Liam Hendricks. Get me a closer that misses bats more frequently because I do not want to rely on batted ball luck. Uh, because if bad luck starts coming for Alex Colomay, it may not be pretty. Uh, so I understand as far as the, the White Sox strategy moving on from Alex Colomay and going with Liam Hendricks. So there's a lot, again, there's a lot to be excited about with the White Sox adding Liam Hendricks. And Jeff Passett of ESPN.com had an interesting take with his column regarding the Chicago White Sox as now possibly the team to beat in the American League. Not only because of signing Hendricks, Adam Eaton, and trading for Lance Lynn, but as you mentioned earlier in the show, Jim, nobody else in the American League has been adding. Tampa Bay is taking a step back. They traded, obviously, Blake Snell. The New York Yankees, Jim, are in a staring contest with DJ LeMayhew, almost daring him to go sign elsewhere. Toronto has been tagged with every single key free agent or top free agent in this market. They haven't signed any of them. Uh, Oakland is losing players because of budget, and and I'm a bit surprised by this. The Minnesota Twins haven't done anything yet this offseason, which I think is a bit shocking because I'm I'm waiting for them to counterpunch like they did last offseason against what the White Sox were doing. And, of course, the big news last week, the Cleveland Indians finally trading Francisco Lindor, but not only just trading Francisco Lindor, but also White Sox killer Carlos Carrasco, uh, which greatly enhances, I think, the White Sox chances of winning the American League Central, and it really hurts the Cleveland Indians entering the 2021 season. And back to our conversation from our last show regarding Fangraph's projected team war. After signing Liam Hendricks, the Chicago White Sox now have the second highest projected team war at 38.9, and that's behind the New York Yankees. The Yankees are still first a projected team war on fan graphs. That 38.9 war value does put the White Sox as the fifth highest team total in Major League Baseball behind the Dodgers, Padres, Mets, and again, the Yankees. So, Jim, there's a lot of free agents still that need to find a home. I think it's like 83% of the remaining free agent class. But we are one month away from pitchers and catchers reporting. If the other American League teams decide to completely pass on this offseason, and it is a possibility, you feel comfortable saying the White Sox currently constructed are one of the top two teams in the American League? I would say one of the top three. Uh, I think the Twins are still there as a threat because just the Twins have a pretty good... um, or at least they've shown the ability to finish uh, relievers, finish hitters, uh, and have some depth and, and guys step in and contribute. White Sox are basically there. I just like to see them prove it over the long haul the way the Twins have proved it. Uh, but yeah, I think when we talked last time, I was saying fifth or sixth because the Indians were right there. Um, they are both at 37 and something wins. And now with Lindor, the Indians are knocked down to 33. The White Sox after... Uh, uh, after Hendricks are up to 39. So I think, yeah, there's a clear tier between them and, and the White Sox left a couple other teams in, in, in the dust too. So, uh, but you know, you mentioned, uh, yeah, we were talking about column A and such. I just want to go to a point that just came up in, in my head. I was thinking like the way you describe the White Sox moving on from column A to Hendricks kind of reminds me of the way they signed Grandal over James McCann. Like, uh, Colome was great with the White Sox, just like James McCann was great in his first year, especially, you know, given the expectations, but he had some flaws in his game. He had some ways that it could have all gone south. And so they signed Yasmani Grandal 
they kept uh, you know McCann and, and they were rewarded for having that depth and having the best uh, catching tandem in baseball. And I think it's kind of the same thing here. Like they they had Colome and he was good, um, but you could see ways where it could unravel and where would the White Sox be if it got away from them. So they signed somebody who's better while still having the depth behind him, and you could see them rewarded the same way. So uh, when you look at the way the White Sox are constructed and just how much Hendricks adds to their um, relief core, like right now when you look at the Fangraphs uh, war chart that the White Sox have uh, and the Yankees have the best bullpen in baseball, just Hendricks provides so many innings uh, for a closer, not just uh, you know save percentage and strikeouts, but innings as well for a closer. He's 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 proven really durable in that regard that just gives them a boost that other closers couldn't do even column a i feel comfortable right now to say the white Sox are one of the top two teams i'm with you the twins are number three in my book but are you surprised they haven't done anything yeah i mean i'm surprised like a lot of teams haven't done anything just because uh you know unless the one thing i can think of is if Teams just really thought they were going to be able to get bargains this year. Because um, when, you, when you look at uh, James McCann's contract for, for 40, that was really good for him. Hendricks getting uh, his contract, really good for him. Um, you know, those are the kind of deals where I think it's a little bit surprising the kind of dollars and years they got. You know, maybe you would think, you know, we thought McCann would get like three for 24, maybe three for 30. So he exceeded uh, Kyle Schwarber got yeah. 10 million. Yep. So, you know, right now, you know, the, the goings have been slow, but the players who have signed have not really given in that we've seen. We've seen teams go for those one-year contracts, but they're not really cutting corners by doing so. I mean, even the White Sox got one year of Adam Eaton, uh, but, you know, that was... Eaton did fairly well for that year uh, as, as a prove-it deal. So, you know, I, I think if teams were looking really hoping that they would be able to sign players for, like, 70 cents on the dollar this year, maybe they're... Uh, not, you know, maybe they thought the players would cave easier and so they have to readjust budgets. But yeah, I'm surprised the Yankees aren't doing anything. I'm surprised the Indians sold Carrasco on top of Lindor. Like, uh, I'm surprised how many teams are, like when the Tigers are one of the most aggressive teams in the offseason, that doesn't really bode well for competition. The Tigers and the Royals have done more than the Twins. Yeah. Like, all the reports of Minneapolis are... Wow, the White Sox have made significant additions. They are going to be serious challengers to the Minnesota Twins. Because obviously, in Minneapolis, they think the Twins are number one, and now the White Sox are number two. In Chicago, we think the White Sox are number one, and the Twins are number two. And obviously, the truth is somewhere in the middle. But, I mean, I'm watching video of Nelson Cruz getting ready for the upcoming season, and I'm wondering, how have the Twins not brought him back yet? And I'm looking at all these starting pitchers out there and I'm wondering why haven't the twins added another starter because the White Sox have added Lance Lynn, the White Sox sign Liam Hendricks. Are the twins going to sign a top reliever? Will they go after Brad hand? Maybe they'll go after Alex Colome. Like I'm waiting for that counterpunch from the Minnesota twins. And if I'm just going to be left waiting in a month, Jim and pitchers and catchers are reporting, I, I might get a little cocky. Only because even though I think the White Sox are a much better team today as far as how they're constructed, especially with another year for 
the young superstars that they have with Aloy Jimenez and Luis Robert, and hopefully Yohan Mikata returns to his 2019 form, that I would put the White Sox as the favorite to win the American League Central just because the Minnesota Twins sat on their hands this offseason. So I, I'm still waiting. I'm waiting to see on how the Twins counterpunch. I think that they will, and I don't think the White Sox are done adding. But right now, as things are constructed, I feel confident in saying the White Sox are one of the top two teams in the American League. And I think I side that I, I would still list the New York Yankees as the favorite because it's the Yankees. But man, Jim, I'm also surprised that they haven't done anything either. It's, uh, you know, it's just kind of sad, I think. And, and uh, you know, baseball has, the union has, it has, the players have the bargaining power they have to stretch it out. But yeah, this is something that the other leagues don't really have because of spending caps of max contracts and whatnot that uh, players can move faster. And, and I really long for the pace of previous winters, like, you know, four or five years ago where the winter meetings is all kind of uh, climaxed there and we could spend January just projecting rosters for every team. And now, you know, with so many players unsigned a month out of, you know, pitchers and catchers, assuming pitchers and catchers report on time, yeah, I don't know how teams go about it. I don't know how players go about it. Like just it's hopefully there's just like a big crush of signings like in the last uh, week or so of January that just, you know, makes it fine. You know, makes it you know no worse for the wear, just late. Uh, I'm fine with that. But just, yeah, having all these teams not looking competitive. And, you know, I saw that 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 footage of Nelson Cruz in the cage. And it brought back memories of the White Sox letting Jim Tomey go to the Twins because he was old and a DH only, and they didn't feel like uh, they wanted to diversify their uh, position uh, of DH and have you know Mark Kotze and Andrew Jones rotate in and out. And the Twins ended up winning the division because they got Jim Tomey for cheap. I wouldn't mind seeing a little bit of reversal there and having the White Sox get Nelson Cruz, even if you know you'd like to see. Uh, you know, given that there's Jose Abreu and Eloy Jimenez and maybe Andrew Vaughn, you know they have the ability to rotate guys in and out of the DH spot, but I would not mind seeing Nelson Cruz shift over if like the twins just really don't want to pay him for whatever reason. Well, that is a great segue. Let's continue that conversation and ponder what other moves the Chicago White Sox could make in this off season. As we also take a look at the White Sox current 26 man projected payroll and see what's left in the budget, but we got bills to pay. So that will be after a quick word from our sponsors. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Check out our amazing offers on Xfinity Internet. You'll get fast speed and Wi-Fi coverage you can count on. Plus, get advanced security free with the XFi Gateway, so you can keep the connected devices in your home protected from network threats. Just log in and activate through the Xfinity app. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Sox Machine Podcast, as we now take a look at the White Sox projected 26-man payroll and also continue Jim's dream of the White Sox possibly signing Nelson Cruz. But first let's revisit the Liam Hendricks contract setup. And this is from Bob Nightingale of USA Today. And I can only imagine he got it straight from the source. 
This is what he tweeted about Hendricks' breakdown, and I think it's very intriguing on how it's set up, and it does give the White Sox some more payroll flexibility in this offseason. His contract details, in 2021, he is set to make $11 million. Next season, 2022, it's $13 million, and in 2023, it is $14 million. Hendricks did get a million-dollar signing bonus, and it comes out to be about $333,333 333 in 2021-2022-2023. You have probably heard about the $15 million option in 2024. If the White Sox pick it up, he's the closer in 2024. If they decline it, Hendricks gets $1.5 million over the next 10 years, so... Great setup for Liam Hendricks. So either he's going to get a lot of cash in four years or he's going to get a lot of cash in three years and uh, get a nice $1.5 million check over the next decade. So must be nice for Hendricks. But after trading for Lance Lynn, signing Adam Eaton and Liam Hendricks, Jim, I currently estimate that the White Sox payroll is around $122, $123 million. And going back to the Sox Machine offseason plan project budget that you set at $135 million, that would give Rick Hahn, let's say, $12 million left to spend if the $135 million is truly the payroll budget for the 2021 White Sox to enhance the 26-man roster. So, if you had $12 million to improve the White Sox roster, how would you spend it? Well, I think they need, you know, and in terms of need, um, I would say backup catcher is one where I feel like they, they can knock it out for two million, two million or so. Uh, so you have that, so that you know gives them ten left over. Then I would say like that that fourth fifth starter um, guy we've been talking about, like just penciling in Jose Quintana because it seems so obvious. But like Garrett Richards would also fit that mold. You know, a pitcher in that. Uh, you know, who can deliver those kind of innings and, and provide some early season stability before Michael Kopech is fully um, in an every five-day routine against uh, you know, real competition. That would seem to go for, like, I would say it feels like $6 million or so, just based on uh, the pace of the offseason and what might be available. So that leaves you with, like, you know, $5 million or so left. I would say at that point, I would go for the best bet available. And, and right now, when you look at... You know, who's left in the market like Marcelo Zuna and Nelson Cruz and Michael Brantley and Jock Peterson. Seems like there are ways to go still for the White Sox to add a bat. Tommy Listella is another guy who can, you know, he's not necessarily like a bat like those uh, players, but he does have um, some plus offensive skills at positions where the White Sox could use some depth. So he's another guy I would consider to be somebody who helps the offense, even if it isn't like a, a pure bat form. Um, I would just, you know, maybe wait uh, linger, see if anybody uh, is just going unsigned, and if they have to go over the 135 million for a good one-year deal, so be it. You know that's the marginal wins Rick Hahn's been prioritizing. That would seem like that would be the best way to do it. Nelson Cruz would be an awesome addition. I mean, I I understand that White Sox fans want the flexibility at DH, rotate guys in and out, but. The White Sox team DH results have been terrible over the last six years. The White Sox had a team weighted runs created plus of 57 out of their designated hitter role uh, in, in 2020. So that's 43% were below league average. Like, I don't feel 
I, I don't, if you can have someone like Nelson Cruz be your full-time DH, I trust that route far more than rotating guys in and out. With the talent uh, on hand. Because yeah, yeah. I just feel with the talent on hand. Absolutely. Like there's some people on Twitter and you mentioned Tommy LaStella. I think that would be great depth. Uh, I keep forgetting that right now the White Sox do have this open spot that they could consider. But do you want Tommy LaStella to have starts at DH? Not, is that the is that the best resource not at DH, DH? But more somebody who can rotate in and allow guys to take a spell at DH. Sure. But he primarily plays second and what third base? So yeah, some but days... I mean, like with Nick Madrigal coming back from shoulder surgery, I think they're early season uh, value for him. And then if Mankata gets hurt, he can get starts there. So that's why I like him as an option who provides offensive depth. But yeah, he's not like, I would say more offensive depth than offensive impact. Got it. Okay. Uh, but there's some that are saying, well, I mean, if Tommy LaStella wants to get 80 to 100 games, he's, you know, he can get the bulk of that at DH. I don't think that's the yeah. best resource at DH for the Chicago White Sox, in my opinion. Uh, but I understand the benefits of signing time, uh, Tommy LaStella and adding him to the White Sox roster. I just feel like you should get a little bit more production out of the DH, but it is a low bar to clear for the Chicago White Sox, a designated hitter over the last six seasons. Uh, other than the surprise rookie output from Daniel Polka, it's been far below league average for the Chicago White Sox, which is disappointing in the ballpark that they played and the you know, long success that they had at DH and all the sluggers that they have, that it's just kind of odd that the White Sox are having problems at the DH spot as far as getting offensive production. But some ideas that I have for this 12 to 13 million, Tommy Listello was on my list. He was further down as far as in the list, but as far as with starting pitcher, because now with the White Sox trading for Lance Lynn, Signing Adam Bean and they're content going into the season with a right field platoon of Adam Bean and Adam Engel and now acquiring Liam Hendricks. This is the part of the offseason where I think they have to start hedging and try to add wins on the margins. And one area that, that I think they should hedge is adding another starting pitcher like you mentioned, like Garrett Richards. Uh, just in case if Dylan Cease, Ronaldo Lopez, and Michael Kopech are not ready to contribute as the number four and number five, if one of them, most likely Cease, is going to be ready to go that you are confident in to start the season, because now, again, remember, you got to win right away, uh, then adding another starting pitcher would be helpful. Two names that I have been pondering about, Jim. So I'm mm-hmm. going to throw them to you, and you can reject them if you want. The first one... No. I am, <laughs> the the first one White Sox killer Corey Kluber he's having a workout this week it's going to be in front of 20 to 25 teams it's rumored that the White Sox will be in attendance to watch his workout what do you think about the possibility of adding Corey Kluber I like the idea of it if he comes back, I would say, like a 35-year-old Corey Kluber might look like. And then, you know, it was only a couple of years ago that he won 20 games and threw 215 innings. And so expecting anything close to that is fine. The one thing I'm worried about is that he did have a shoulder injury. It's not like the traditional, 
you know, rotator cuff or labrum issue. He uh, tore a muscle near his shoulder. But given that those tend to have uh, lingering effects and, and effects on power specifically, that's the one thing where if the White Sox went to his showcase and came away unimpressed, I would understand why. So I think I'm ambivalent towards him to where if they're impressed, I could see why and, and I'd be fine with him signing with the White Sox. If they show no interest, kind of reminds me a little bit of Tim Linscomb when he was showcasing and a lot of people were excited because of his pedigree um, and history and, and, and awards. And uh, the White Sox came away not thinking much of him and he didn't have anything in the tank the rest of the way. Uh, kind of reminds me of the same thing where just the injury in question makes me think that he could be near the end of the line. Another pitcher that I wonder is also at the end of the line because of injuries, James Paxton. What do you think about the idea of adding James Paxton to the White Sox starting rotation? I like it. I think my one reservation with Paxton is just like, um, it kind of reminds me a little bit of Gio Gonzalez, not in, in, in style or, or how they go about pitching, but just in terms of how scattershot his availability is. He's not somebody like starts strong and, you know, has a midseason injuries. He gets kind of injured all over the place with weird, different problems. And so that'd be the one concern is that he's not ready when the White Sox most need him to be ready, which is opening day in like April and May. I think that's my one concern about Paxton and why I'd be reluctant to sign him. But, you know, when it comes to stuff and the ability to get strikeouts, uh, he's pretty much probably the best option among the second or third tier pitchers. It's just a matter of, you know, how much he can give. And, you know, he's, you know, he's not somebody who's a complete wreck and you know, even Garrett Richards, I mentioned him and you know, somebody might raise an eye at that given that Richards innings totals are really pale in comparison to even Paxton's, but Richards, I think I have a little bit more faith in him because he put off Tommy John surgery or it wasn't advised for him for a couple of years and tried alternative treatments. Didn't work. Finally underwent the knife came back on a traditional schedule, came back throwing innings. The velocity was back. And now I think that he's ready to have more or less a full season Paxton. I'm not quite as sure about, but either one, I think, you know, if they could get Paxton for a Garrett Richards price in that, you know, 6 million or so I'm thinking about, then Paxton would be fine. Another starting pitcher that I'm a bit surprised hasn't signed yet is Taiwan Walker. Yeah. He is just a, a few too many fly balls for me. Yeah. I don't, I, that's why he's third on my list because there I'm kind of, I'm with you. I'm a bit worried on how he would fare in the summertime at guaranteed rate field. Yeah. But if you only need him for cold weather early and you just need innings, uh, before, you know, Michael Kopech is ready, then, uh, maybe it's okay. But just, I, I think he's just down because I just feel like he's, his successes can be the product of bigger parks and, and, uh, you know, friendlier dimensions in the White Sox and, uh, you know, guaranteed right field doesn't really offer that. Yeah. When I think of Taiwan Walker, I, I kind of see maybe an Ivan Nova type of results where he's going to give up 40 home runs. If he makes 30 starts with the White Sox and the White Sox were to sign Taiwan Walker. And you're just hoping that, man, I hope you could produce a 4.5 ERA and be the fifth starter for the White Sox. That's what I would hope. They hope most of them were solo shots. Exactly. Just don't walk, guys. That's all I ask. Okay. So an idea for backup catcher. How about Yadier Molina? Wouldn't hate it. I wonder how much he would accept it, especially behind a catcher like Grandal, who you know expects to catch 120 games. But in terms of talent and fits, I, I don't see a downside for the role. 
The reason I think of Molina, because obviously he's going to have his number retired by the St. Louis Cardinals and the St. Louis Cardinals fans love him. But I think there, I don't know what's going on between the Cardinals and Molina, but Molina's still a free agent. And if he was going to return to the Cardinals, I think that they would have already come to some agreement of like one more year. But with Larusa in the fold, I wonder if he would sign for like $5 million to once again play under Tony Larusa and obviously be the backup catcher. But again, if you're going to have flexibility at the DH role to kind of, you know, have Grandal get some starts at DH or have Grandal start at first while Jose Abreu gets off his feet and he starts at a game at DH, that so you can kind of have this shuffle between Grandal, Molina, and Abreu at catcher first and DH. And then it gives Larusa an ally in the clubhouse that if some White Sox players are confused by the managing of uh, efforts by Tony Larusa, they have, you know, he's got Molina that can, you know, share his success and what it's like to play under Tony Larusa and what to expect. And it's another veteran voice and another championship caliber player, or at least one that has been, uh, that the White Sox can add to the clubhouse. So that's why I'm intrigued. I mean, he got paid like $18 million last year. So that's a pretty drastic pay cut. Yeah. And I'm, I'm pretty sure he's not willing to take it. And I think that there's a, there's a part of Yadier Molina that believes that he should still be the starting and primary catcher elsewhere. But if he doesn't find that job, I'm just wondering that, you know, maybe the White Sox should pick up the phone and offer $5 million. And if it's the only offer that he's got, maybe he takes it. And that's your backup catcher. Yeah, I think for just $5 million, I think there are enough catchers in the neighborhood, like be it Jason Castro or Wilson Ramos or Kurt Suzuki or Tyler Flowers or whatever, to where $5 million seems a bit steep. Right. But the, the $5 million would be steep because you're paying for the name, Jim. That's that's what the yeah. difference is. I, I'm with you. You can take two million and you can go find a backup catcher that you feel more confident catching uh, the White Sox pitchers than Zach Collins, Yerma Mercedes, and Subby Zavala. But Yadier Molina still being a free agent, I'm intrigued. That's why I'm tossing the idea out there. Uh, this is a brainstorming session. My pie in the mm-hmm. sky, the final guy on my list. Orange pie in the sky, Jim. Marcella Zuna. Break the bank. Go up to $140 million. Forget adding another starting pitcher. Let's add another 30-plus home run guy in the lineup. I like it. Like, it's a, that's a case where um, I just imagine if I'm trying to put myself in the uh, shoes of a Twins writer or uh, you know, Indians or even you know, go outside the division in the league and say, like, oh, crap. Yep. <laughs> that, that's, that's, that's the kind of move I think, you know, Hendricks is a good move that I think is, you know, you note as a division rival, but also like, as we talked about, it's the kind of situation where, you know, the White Sox have to give them leads and you might not see Hendricks for a series if, uh, you know, uh, you know, early in the, the early innings go the wrong way. There's a way to mitigate the damage that Hendricks can do. <laughs> Ozuna, a guy like him in the lineup, uh, the middle of the lineup, you can't really, do that. <laughs> you, just, you have to deal with it directly. And that's why I like the idea. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm with you there that if they could do it, and that's what I'm talking about. Like when it comes to like the, if they waited to the end and Mizuna still hasn't signed and they're like, 
they're in contact with him and the number is coming down, like, just go for it. Uh, you know, imagine the excitement. There's no Sox Fest this year, but, uh, you know, if they can draw fans in, you know, decent numbers, at least percentage-wise, you know, if they're allowed to with COVID and everything. But just imagine the draw uh, of just having that line, the excitement, the, the pent-up excitement. You know, I, I think the draws, you know, we... Uh, you know, White Sox get knocked for attendance, but I think, you know, if you delay attendance to the second half of the season and you have all this excitement built in, just the the, the pent-up uh, demand for wanting to see baseball plus wanting to see this particular lineup, you know, it would just be, I think, you know, maybe not unprecedented because they didn't win a World Series, but pretty much as close to that as they've been. I mean, if you added Marcelo Zuna to this lineup, your 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 eight and nine hitters are going to be Adam Eaton and Nick Madrigal, and your number seven hitter is going to be Luis Robert, and then one through six is just going to be devastating if everyone stays healthy. Like a middle of the order of Abreu, Azuna, and Jimenez, yikes! That is some scary stuff. And if Mancata can break it up at the sixth spot, or maybe you still bat him second and Grundahl bat six, vice versa. Uh, that, that lineup would just be scary. And it would, I think Marcelo Zuna would fulfill our excitement that we had last year when the White Sox signed Edwin Carnacion, because I thought, man, he's going to hit 30 homers. That's what he does. The White Sox have added another 30 home run bat. Maybe he would have done that in a 162 game season. I doubt it because Encarnacion, that bat has expired. But the season that Marcelo Zuna had in 2020 and the fact that he's just still 30 years old, I know that he switched agents thinking that he can land a five-year, $100 million contract. I just don't think that's going to be realistic, and I think that's a bit unfair to Marcelo Zuna. But if he's willing to do a one-year, $18 million deal to contend and be a DH slash left fielder for the Chicago White Sox, play in 150 plus games, sign me up, Jim, because Mm -hmm. that would be, you are right. That would scare the Minnesota Twins and that would scare a lot of teams in the American League. And there'd be some heavy expectations on the Chicago White Sox because if they were to sign Marcelo Zuna now, I do think they would be the favorite to win the American League pennant in 2021. And the thing about Azuna too is that uh, you know last year the White Sox were tied to him at least by some reports in in the Dominican, uh, but we didn't know exactly you know what kind of defense he could play, whether he could DH. But last year you know he played DH two thirds of the time and did pretty much all his damage from that spot. He played some left field was okay there, but when you look at the splits, uh, an OPS of eleven fifty five from the DH spot. So he addressed that risk, that uncertainty. So you know what more could you want? Exactly. So I say break the piggy bank and sign Marcel Azuna. Let's do it, White Sox. Let's get crazy. Let's really shock uh, the Minnesota Twins. But we did have this as a show poll. Again, you could follow us on Twitter. We are at Sox Machine and you could follow me on Twitter at Sox Machine underscore Josh. Our Twitter poll was after the Hendricks signing. Which position do you want the White Sox to address next? And we gave four options. Starting pitcher, designated hitter backup catcher, utility. And it is very heavy on starting pitcher and designated hitter. 51% of our followers, Jim, uh, selected starting pitcher they want the White Sox to address next. 42% 
designated hitter. So let's look at our crystal ball and try to answer this question. The next player, the Chicago White Sox sign in this offseason or trade for will be what? Oh, I think I have to say Jose Quintana, right? (laughs) I mean, obviously, just keep going. Yeah, in the interest of of logical consistency. Yeah, just that that was my thought before Hendricks signed and, you know, should be my thought after. Um, Before I continue to ramble on, what's your answer? Even though I love Marcella Zuna, I'm with you. I think it's going to be starting pitcher. I... I'm intrigued by Garrett Richards, but I think you're right. It's going to be a starting pitcher for six or seven million dollars, the same amount of money that they signed Gio Gonzalez to last year. Yeah, just somebody who's has a track record of you know being a little bit more available than him. But uh, you know, when when it comes to like which one they should sign, uh, I don't really have a, an impulse on that, just because you know, we've talked about all these high quality free agents left at every position. Like I don't feel an urge, like, you know, kind of thinking like fantasy baseball or football drafts and there's a run in a position. There really hasn't been a run in no. any position. Liam Hendricks has signed the largest deal this off season, Jim. Yeah. James McCann is second. That is crazy. Again, 83% of the free agents are still available. We don't know where George Springer is playing. We don't know where Trevor Bauer is playing. We don't know where JT Real Muto is playing next year. DJ LeMahieu, again, staring contest with the Yankees. We don't know where he's playing. The biggest moves have been via trade, obviously with what San Diego has done to get Blake Snell and you Darvish and the New York Mets getting Francisco Lindor and Carlos Carrasco. I really love that deal for the New York Mets. But yeah, that's kind of where we're at. And again, we're a month away from pitchers and catchers. Hopefully, knock on wood, are going to be reporting to spring training. So maybe there'll be a lot more action and things pick up and we'll see where the White Sox stand. But I don't think the White Sox are done. Do you think the White Sox are done, Jim? No, I just think they're going to be more in uh, looking for bargains rather than going top of market again. Well, they're still that. Yeah, I, I'm with. They're not in the market for Springer. They're not in the market for Bauer. I'm, I know there's White Sox fans who would love to see Trevor Bauer on the south side. Maybe Trevor Bauer would love to pitch for the White Sox with the additions that they have made. Uh, but I'm with you. I don't think the White Sox are going to be willing to make the offer or pony up the money to, to sign Trevor Bauer. I don't know. They surprised me once with the Osmani Grandal, so maybe they could do it again. Uh, but if they sign Marcelo Zuna, I am, I am ready. I am ready to drive the hype train. Let's get it going. Hopefully... That happens, but I think being realistic, yeah, it's going to be a starting pitcher for six or seven million. Maybe they sign a backup catcher, uh, so they feel a little bit more confident as somebody that can uh, catch behind Yasmani Grandal, and maybe they do sign Tommy Lucella to add more depth to the bench. I think that would be a pretty good offseason for the Chicago White Sox. We'll see what happens. But that will do it for this episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening as uh, we are very excited with the addition of Liam Hendricks to the South Side. And now the White Sox are a legit contender in the American League in 2021. Some promotions to tell you about. One, a new Sox Machine Podcast will be coming your way this upcoming weekend on January 15th as Michael Fisher, owner of Codify, will be joining me. Michael's working with Lucas Giolito, Yasmane Grandal, and Liam Hendricks, providing all three with custom heat maps for their opponents. So we're going to learn more about that 
on a future episode of the Sox Machine podcast and get his thoughts about how game planning for pitchers is changing through the season. So I'm really looking forward to that conversation, and I hope you guys are as well. For our Patreon supporters, as always, thank you guys so much. Jim continues to do the P.O. Sox mailbag. So P.O. Sox has not stopped while we went on hiatus for the podcast, taking a little bit of a break to get ready to go for the 2021 season. And uh, you're still continuing to do that every Monday, right, Jim? Correct. Yep. Just uh, look and check your email or check the Patreon page every Sunday. I put out a call for questions. You can also shoot me messages via Patreon messaging or email just to uh, you know, put a question on my radar in the event that you don't want to forget about it. But either way, uh, send them my way. And uh, we'll release a new podcast schedule coming up here. Again, we usually launch Season 8 around SoxFest, but without SoxFest, we're going to have to make some adjustments uh, for the 2021 season. Uh, but we are very excited to continue as far as this podcast, uh, talking about the Chicago White Sox together for the eighth season. You're writing about the White Sox. What is this, your 15th season, Jim? Yeah. <laughs> I think I think it's, this is number 16. Number 16. Yeah. Sweet 16. And this is probably the best White Sox team uh, that we have talked yeah, about. Yeah, it is 16. Yep. Yeah, so for this podcast, this would be the best White Sox team uh, that we have talked about. So I'm very excited for this upcoming season. We hope you guys are as well. And if you do enjoy our work, please think about becoming a Patreon supporter by going to patreon.com slash Machine. We have several tiers of support that you can sign up for where you get ad-free versions of the podcast and our Patreon supporters get an opportunity to submit questions that we ask directly to the guests like Michael for this upcoming week on the Sox Machine Podcast. So again, if you enjoy our work and you want more and you'd like to support us, go to patreon.com slash Machine and sign up today. And again, that will do it for this Sox Machine Podcast. You can subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. You can give us a review on Apple Podcasts. And the Sox Machine Podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.